on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Mid-season Got it all out, giggles? Series. Yeah, I'm gonna mute myself. Thank you. Alright. Three, two... Although the season is canceled, On the Bench is not. Welcome to another show. I'm Josh Newberg, and I got my brothers, Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone, riding along with me for this one. Hope everyone is doing well. Talking to the audience there. Um, But how are you guys doing, Chris and Brendan? Fantastic, Josh. Thank you for asking. Swell. Hey, the season isn't officially canceled yet. Let's let's be accurate here. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Another weekend, another late cancellation for FSU. Um, Kickoff was scheduled against with Virginia for 8 p.m. on Saturday evening inside of beautiful Dote Campbell Stadium. But that morning, uh, just prior to about 11 a.m., FSU informed the media along with UVA that they would not have enough players to go through with the game. Um, Chris, break down the, the UVA cancellation. Why exactly did it happen? Well, FSU had some positive cases on Wednesday, which led to contact tracing, which rolled players out, put them dangerously thin. Then they have another positive on Friday, the last round of testing before the game. And that obviously takes them down to number 44, according to AD David Coburn. Obviously, you can't play a game with 44 scholarship players. Now, FSU rolled out there two weeks ago at NC State with around 59 players. So when you have a positive case, especially one that we believe was among the special teams unit, uh, that that's extremely concerning because special teams, obviously, it's an intersection of the entire team. You have offense, you have defense involved. So the idea of spreading and contact tracing is drastically increased very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on Wednesday, I would think anybody with really good leadership skills would kind of have the foresight to believe that, man, this probably is not happening. And there was a lot of talk of that sort through back channels on Wednesday. It took until – Friday's additional testing, further players being ruled out to make the decision on Saturday. Virginia had postponed travel until late Friday evening. From what I understand, they took off around 6 p.m. from Virginia. They arrived in Tallahassee around 9 p.m. that night. Obviously, in a school that had to sink cost into travel, that was disappointing to learn that they weren't playing the game. Essentially, you know, 13, 14 hours after they landed on the ground in Tallahassee. And credit to Brendan, um, he was in the group chat on Wednesday, and he was really on top of this. He told us on Wednesday that this thing, pro- this game probably wasn't going to happen. So, Brendan, I'm going to throw it to you. If you knew this game probably wasn't going to happen on Wednesday, why did another team travel to Tallahassee only to be told on the morning of the game that, hey, go home, we're not playing? How'd that happen? So – so I think the there's two different things, two different sides to this. And and I understand Chris's point very well. And, and it's perfectly logical to say, hey, th- this wasn't trending in a good direction. If I'm able to piece together some of the some of the dots there and connect those and say, 
with one positive test and then the potential what we're hearing, I think it was quote unquote, a, a ton of players are going to be impacted by the, by the contact tracing of this. We'll understand that, that that could leave FSU very thin because FSU was already thin. They had about roughly, what would you say, Chris, about 60 scholarship players available going into the week. Yeah, it was 59 at NC State. We expect them yeah. to get, you know, Toe Philly back, potentially a couple DBs. Obviously, we didn't expect Asante to play. There were others we thought potentially may not play. So about yes. plus three, so 62 at the maximum number was kind of the going into the game roster expectation before COVID-related situation. So, so if you lose one of those, then if you lose anyone who with contact tracing, let's say conservatively, uh, six players or so, not necessarily all have to be scholarship players, but but six players or so. Um, so you lose that, then all of a sudden you're down to the 50s. No, I know what happened. Yeah, but, but what like, I'm saying how, is – How does another team fly into – because, like, you guys, you and Chris were already doing uh, uh, flight trackers. Like, <laughs> like we're in, in coaching change season on Friday – because you guys were so skeptical that UVA would even take off. Like you guys were tracking their private jets yeah. to see if they were coming because you didn't believe that they so would. So you want to know, Josh, how, how, this, how, how FSU basically allowed a team to travel to, to play a game when, when there was a very good chance. Yeah, for the second week in a row. All right, so – and this falls up onto FSU's leadership. I think that was Chris's critique, and again, I understand that. You have a decision to make. Uh, you have very limited numbers. The numbers are – you're able to play a football game at that time, though, Josh. Like, still, when, when Virginia is traveling, when they're leaving the tarmac on, on Friday, there's still a chance for the game. Now, you can't afford any more positive tests and fall out from contact tracing. That absolutely cannot happen. You're living on a razor's edge. But you're basically, like, living on that edge because of the financial situation that Florida State is in, one before the COVID era, and then that's all been magnified tremendously uh, since then. So, so you still have a chance to play the game. I think that's what FSU's logic is, is that there's still the chance to play a game as long as we don't have any more positive tests. Now, you could logically say, well, if there's going to be a – if there's already one positive test within the locker room, one, uh, one person on special teams is what we were told, and then one staffer, uh, then it makes sense that there could be a spread, there could be a contaminant. Uh, and that's ultimately what, what happens, and that takes out multiple position groups. We're told offensive line and defensive back groups were depleted significantly through the testing and contact tracing by that, that Friday evening, Saturday morning timeline for the last round of tests. But they wanted to play the game, Josh, because they thought they could. They thought that they didn't have any – they had such a long stretch of not having positive tests that they thought, okay, this could be isolated. We got this uh, taken care of. This is under control. And that's ultimately not – that isn't what happened but so they I think found that, out you you think that they found out saturday morning i think they found out late friday night or early saturday morning yes this is another fun example of the acc not doing anything in the process of altering the situation i mean hell we learned a week ago with the clemson debacle that you know you you need the testing results for the last round of testing to paint a clearer picture of is this game going to happen before you get the entire machine rolling downhill to play the game so the fact that the testing results apparently were not available till after virginia traveled is foolish because it allowed virginia to travel just like in the case of clemson's testing coming back you know blowing that game up saturday morning clemson had traveled which was on clemson i'm not excusing clemson i'm not going back to that one i don't really feel like discussing dr Dabo this time around but two weeks in a row we learned that fsu is 
you know, involved in a situation like this. And the ACC has done nothing to clear that up. And that's foolish on the ACC's part. My opinion is that FSU needed to do everything humanly possible to avoid another travel and cease situation like we saw on Saturday. I think it's just opening the door for bad PR, even though I understand that some of it is somewhat out of their control because of stupid rules of the ACC. My belief is Wednesday, it was abundantly clear to a lot of smart people that this game was almost certainly not going to happen. And if it did happen, it was going to be close to a miracle for it to happen. So to allow it to get to Saturday to be canceled, I thought was kind of foolish on uh, the leadership's part. Hmm. Okay. So whether or not FSU is at fault for these or not, I mean, it, it seems like it's completely out of their hands at this point, which is why they have canceled for a third consecutive weekend, their game um, upcoming, which they were planning to travel to Duke and face them in Wallace Wade stadium to end the season. That, how come that has been canceled so soon, Brendan, make that make sense to me. I think because of the quarantine process, Josh, you are following, FSU is following a very strict protocol that when a player tests positive or uh, with contact tracing, if you're around someone who was testing positive, there's a 14-day quarantine. And just mathematically, you're not going to have enough players available to play this upcoming Saturday within that 14-day window. That's that's it as simply as as I can put it. You're not going to have enough available players. Mm. And the ACC has already made a move. They announced Sunday night that Duke will now host number 10 Miami this upcoming weekend instead of FSU. Uh, That game will still kick off at 8 p.m. Chris, do you think this is the end of Florida State's season, or are you hearing that there could be another scheduled game in place? I know that Florida State would like it not to be the end of the season. They would like another home game in part to sort out the pack ticket packages because they now have two different ticket packages on the year that both have been compromised by postponements, you know, the Clemson package and the Virginia package, which are separate. So that's one thing. Plus, you always want to get as many games in as you can. Well, coaches usually do because of a competitive standpoint in practices, but more so in this case because a lot of this is being fueled by greed if we're just being straight up honest about it, you also want that TV revenue. You want that additional share of playing another game, building the pie up a little bit more. And to add on that, and I don't know if this factors into the decision, God knows local businesses need it. I mean, this last month has been brutal for local businesses. Any restaurant in Tallahassee that depends on those Friday night, Saturday crowds mm-hmm. of even a you know depleted crowd at Florida State for a football game, they need it. And it, it stinks for them. It stinks for a lot of people. It stinks for FSU. It stinks for the coaching staff and the players. You know, we have seniors that are talking about how disappointed they're about not possibly getting a senior day. Now, some of those guys we expect back, but some were probably hoping for this to be their last go-around with FSU. They're not going to potentially get that. So, we'll see. I think that the ultimate decision on whether or not FSU plays on the 12th and who they play is largely in the ACC's hands. I do not expect it to be Clemson based on what I was told yesterday. Okay. At this point, I don't expect FSU Clemson to happen at any point. That, I'll just add to that's that. That's a that bit of good be, news, I guess. Uh, we'll see. I, I just got a text during this that Clemson is potentially on the table still. So I think this is all going to be really fluid. And I trust Chris's sourcing all that too. I'm just saying there's going to be stuff changing right. a lot in the next 24 hours here. I do agree totally. FSU wants this game, wants a game to be played. The other mm-hmm. dynamic too, guys, like if we're talking about the 14-day quarantine, we're trying to do this math before the podcast. Uh, how 
how many players is FSU going to have available for a game on December 12th? Like they had players that were impacted by the first round of, of COVID testing and subsequent contact tracing probably won't be available to practice until December 9th. Right. Yeah, that, that would be the two week date. That'd be the two week date that they get out of quarantine. So that gives you just a few days to practice after being quarantined uh, and, and being isolated and not being able to work out. And well, I don't even football. know how many full speed practice. I mean, isn't Wednesday kind of when they do situational? Is Thursday walkthrough or is Friday walkthrough? For I think Thursday's the, the walkthrough or more the installation of, of game plan stuff. Because that would, in, in a perfect world, if there wasn't COVID, Josh, that would be the day where we weren't allowed to go to practice because right. they were doing more game plan. So they're, bi- I mean, so. if they do come back, it's two days before the game. They're getting like what, one, one, legitimate practice in in two weeks and that's assuming that they'll have a like yes correct and that's assuming that there are not other players who opt out between now and then that they don't have more guys who just kind of see the writing on the wall that this season's about to end and question you know, what do we have to play for there's so many variables that it's tough to to really get an accurate gauge on, on what we think is going to happen right now mm-hmm. something that was missed in the Clemson cancellation postponement was that a major reason FSU did that was because if this situation happened where a player got it and contact tracing happened, they were going to be in the situation they're now in. Yeah. Uh, that was very much glossed over nationally and truthfully, probably even locally. I think I tried to mention it on a podcast, but I don't think it was a common talking point about why that Clemson game was postponed. Now we're here and it's going to be tough for FSU to climb out of hole. It's just, they're so shorthanded by their own, you know, attrition throughout the year injuries and opt-outs and such that it's just tough for them to handle it people are like why could Clemson do it well because Clemson's dressing 120 people and playing 100 of them so you know if they lose 10 they're okay FSU's not in that situation they're not close to that situation it's just it is what the situation is FSU's lost about more than a dozen almost close to 20 scholarship players since Mike Norvell's taken over and some of that's a necessity and some of that's just what's going to happen with three coaches in, in what, four seasons. But, yeah, FSU's limited right now. Do right. either do Real quick, do either of you actually want to see FSU take the field again this season? I don't need to. Ah, I do, I do right. get the hold vet. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. Let's what's actually it? make this let's, – let's, let's make it so that you do want to see them. So I wanted to play a game here. You put on your AD hat. If you could schedule one game for December 16th, who would it be against? Duke, Duke. that's the most likely team you can beat. You need a win. Duke was favored by three at at Duke at Wall Street. You guys are so lame. Here's what I'm doing on December 16th. FSU versus FAU, Willie's buyout on the line, double or nothing. Let's go. Oh, my God, if FAU won. (laughs) I I thought you were thinking just ACC schools. Yeah, Josh, that's really good. I can't beat that. That's Let's really play good. Play in Orlando, neutral field. We'll put the we'll put twenty million dollars at the fifty yard line. Oh, just run to it like the old XFL days. Yeah, I was gonna say that that has an XFL feel to it right there. I went to the very first XFL game in Orlando. It was the first one played, and the guys running out for the coin flip or whatever it was. The the Orlando guy legitimately dislocated his shoulder on that. That was the very first instance of XFL mm-hmm. fo- football, and the guys out for the season. Was Tommy Maddox part of that game? I believe he would have been. I just remember I got the ball, the black and red ball. It was awesome. Yeah, it's good times. My brother and his friends went to the game. He, I think he was like 16. He was in high school, and they got uh, underage drinking citations. <laughs> at the Citrus Bowl or outside of <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, at the Citrus Bowl outside. Oh, yeah. my God. 
So anyway, that was the first XFL game. Um, I'd like to see UMass. That talk about easy easy wins. Walt, the fighting Walt Bells layup. And yeah, but there's not up. enough on the line there. I believe that the game. I know we're having fun with this, but I believe the game would almost certainly have to be an ACC game. Yes. From a financial standpoint, and the preference is a home game to help sort through the ticket issue. Unless Willie's buyout is on the line, that will make it happen. All right. Well, if the season is over, if this is it, what's your major takeaways from this year? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm being like, what you know, like looking back on this season, what are your takeaways? I'm being serious. I know it, it would have it would have been fantastic to sleep through the whole damn year. Is that the, fair? The, vi- I mean? the visual of Chris giggling over that's even better that he has a Christmas tree directly behind him too. <laughs> I mean, hell, it's been a miserable freaking year. It, it, like, there hasn't been a positive UNC. Okay, there we go. UNC, I didn't say positive. That- I said, "What's your takeaway?" My takeaway from this year is: be careful what you ask for. Because in in June and July, boy, we were begging for a season. Just anything. (laughs) I learned to be careful what you ask for. I mean, the university needed the money. I mean, that's as many across the country needed money. That's not a solely FSU issue. FSU is just very much in that boat. Um, But, man, it's been a miserable season in so many ways. It's been a pain in the ass to cover. I'm t- I'm so tired of being a stenographer on Zoom. I can't tell you how over that I've been for the last month. Um, you might be done with that, Chris. I we've think the only seen, person that Chris hates, try to hates being on Zoom more than me is Mike Norvell at this point. <laughs> I know he's done with it. I don't. I gotta him. give. Oh, we gotta give Mike Norvell credit, like for doing 827 Zooms and being a really good sport about it. There's been so yeah. many questions that I've just absolutely cringed at, thinking that oh boy, here it comes, like. There's just – I don't know how he keeps it together and has the patience to legitimately give some of these questions answers. Props to him. He does this, like, next stretch before the Zoom calls start, before the recording starts. It's just – you could tell it's a man, like, gearing up. He's like, here comes the bullshit. Here we go. But even when he gets those questions from – I'm not, I'm not going to say the name. I almost did. I almost did. But even when he gets those questions, like he doesn't even flinch. He doesn't give the eye roll. I would be, I would be so much worse. You would be able to read all over me that like, I, I think this question's ridiculous, but he, he has great patience with the FSU beat. I've caught two or three times where his eye, one was over a silly question I asked back in the preseason camp, but he just does it a couple of times where he does like the rock uh, eyebrow raise a little <laughs> bit, a little pontificating like Where's this question going? Hey, the thing that I learned about this this season, my takeaway, mm-hmm. is Mike Norvell's had some shit luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, just and I was thinking about that this morning when I was on my way to grab some coffee before the pod. Maybe I'll write about it. But just the when you think about since you know things went smoothly in December, uh, more or less got the staff he wanted, uh, closed fairly strong. I mean, some of the impact guys that they got, you know, it wasn't a great FSU class, but you get Robert Scott, and that's a a building block, and you finished fairly strong. You get Chubba Purdy. But then once March comes around, like, it just – the wheels fell off. And then the entire country and world, too, to be to be fair. It's not just an FSU or Norvell yeah, deal. He survived but, a pandemic. He survived player revolts. He survived – I mean, jeez. Multiple player revolts out of the pandemic, trying to install all this newness in Extended the pandemic. Extended dead periods. I mean, they've been able to host recruits for underclassmen for, what, like three weeks of his – 10 month tenure, 11 month tenure. Like that's, 
been something. Uh, all the injuries they've had, the absurd amount of injuries has been crazy. Uh, you got into it with, with Dr. Gabo. Uh, and then, of course, like the week after you have two players test for COVID, when you haven't had any COVID tests in months, it's just it's just been from optics, from just bad luck. It's just it's been shit luck for that dude in year one. And I kind of feel for him. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, feel for, you know, everybody associated with the university, especially like Chris said, um, the local businesses as well. They've been taking a big hit. But one local business that we've been supporting strong Throughout the fall is Market Square Liquors and Fine Wine, located right there at 1415 Timberlane Road, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, Brendan, it's 8.40 a.m. Market Square Liquors, I think, opens at 9 a.m. I think we need to run over there. Uh, we, we got the day off. They did cancel the uh, FSU presser. As someone who's enjoyed their hand-selected wine before, uh, their wine is fine. I can attest to that. Their wine is fine. As a reminder to our listeners, uh, they are going to have their bottle engraving coming up on December 3rd. You can pre-order that. Uh, I think it's uh, Woodford Reserve, Woodford Rye, Jack Daniels Single Barrel, which is awesome. And then Jack Daniels Gentleman Jack, which is a really nice entry-level bourbon as well. You can go ahead and and pre-order those, and they'll have the bottle engraver coming up next week. We'll get the exact details for you guys, but that's, that's coming up soon here. And, uh, and yeah, we'll get the details for you guys by the next podcast. But it's, you know what would be uh, it's a great up. idea to do? What? 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 Buy the, like, the nicest bottle of bourbon that you can afford and get it engraved with the, tw- the year 2020 and the season record this year, like two and whatever. And then when Florida State wins the national championship, you break it open and drink it. <laughs> be like, <laughs> started from the bottom. <laughs> uh yeah go ahead and do that folks i think they can pretty much like uh they could pretty much do the bottle engravings like anything other than like the fsu uh like the seminal head i think that may be copyrighted but pretty much anything else fsu related you can go ahead and do and and on the bench logo isn't copyrighted if you want to do that too yeah it's december 3rd yeah the bottle engraving that's thursday that's this thursday holy crap i said it was next week oh my god it's almost december uh, and if you do the pre-ordered bottles, they'll... Uh, Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> you, you can you can buy your bottle even like as early as today, and it'll be uh, engraved and ready for you to pick up on December 4th. So good good holiday present there if you love someone who loves bourbon. All right. Let's uh, clean up a few things on the team side before we switch over to recruiting. A couple notes here. On, I think it was Friday, Asante Samuel announced that he is going pro. Brendan, you've, uh, you've been hearing that this is a good possibility for a couple weeks now. Why, did it, why do you think it happened on Friday night? It actually happened Sunday night. Sunday night. Um, all the I, know, I, know, I know all the days are lining up. I, just, I knew someone was listening <laughs> it was to last this podcast night? and being like, that Newberg doesn't know what he's talking about. It was on Sunday. So, yeah, it was on Sunday. Uh, we had heard. I think it was last week. I can't remember days either at this point. Uh, we had heard last week that Asante was likely going to opt out for the rest of the year, that he was dealing with a shoulder issue that I think would have probably kept him out against Clemson. And at that point was uh, – and obviously Clemson game didn't happen, but that Asante was going to go ahead and, and shut things shut things down, focus on the pros, which makes sense. He's done pretty much everything you can individually at FSU. He's had two really great seasons as a starting cornerback. Uh, for, for the Seminoles, and then was really good as a freshman as well. 
basically, yeah, he, he accomplished what he could accomplish. Uh, we had checked with FSU. Uh, they couldn't confirm or deny it earlier in the week uh, this past week when we had checked. And then he comes out with the edit on Sunday evening. And, and that's that. I don't think he'll be the last one to do that. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, you can't blame him. He had a really good career. He was const- constantly consistent. He was someone who never got too high or too low, brought it every single game, was always energetic. I think PFF had a stat today that he was – in three years, he never allowed 100 yards receiving on him. So he was someone who never just had, like, an awful game either. Just really steady. If you had a 22 uh, – you know, 11 man on each side, 22 Asante Samuels lined up despite being small, I think FSU would be in a much better spot than it is today. I appreciate Asante because he was coachable for two staffs and he was a hard worker for two staffs. He just was who he was and he stayed consistent with that. He was never a super vocal kid but I think he led very well in the sense of just go out and do it. And I think he kind of set his own path. And, you know, we heard talk of him being a little more vocal this year, speaking up to some of the youngsters, trying to help to set them on the right path, trying to teach them in the moment. You know, we heard him, you know, the tour of duty, I think it was story, or maybe it was preseason with wide receiver about how to do things. So I think that just speaks to who Asante is. I think he'll be a high level draft pick. I don't know about first round, but I definitely think he'll be top two third round at the latest I'd be surprised if he makes it to the third round but uh excellent football player good kid too and he, he he was consistently what he was from the moment he stepped on campus to when he's departing despite getting a little bit better in the college game he was kind of consistent all the way through yeah shout out to Asante Samuel uh, representing Florida State very well during his time here and good luck to him as he moves on to the next level of his career where was he uh, on your top 20 or top 40 most important player list, Josh? Do you want to recap that? We should recap all of our lists. Yeah, we will. And awesome. in other news, somebody staying with the team, Dante Lucas, who was rumored last week to be on his way out, is still with the team. Um, we've confirmed that through multiple sources. Um, I spoke to a source yesterday that told me directly that, um, you know, they hope, hope things improve between Lucas and the staff. They feel that they are uh, communicating well and that Lucas kind of falls in line. I don't know if falls in line is the right word. Um, But Brandon, do you think Dante Lucas is part of the solution here at Florida State? I think they would like him to be. Uh, Right now, it's tough to really say that you feel confident with him as a building block based on the immaturity or however you want to define it that we've seen the last two seasons. Uh, It's tough because he he didn't have the full offseason to rehab from the lower leg injury, so he physically Mm -hmm. wasn't what we were expecting to do to make the second-year jump. Uh, But for FSU, I I don't have this – I have a feeling, Josh, that he's not someone that they're building around with, like, you know, before the season started, they had Darius Washington and Dante Lucas on the left side of the line, and I thought they were going to build with those two. I get the feeling now that, that they're a little bit more lukewarm towards Dante Lucas. They still want to give him a shot. They know what his potential can be, uh, but there's kind of a tread lightly with him building forward, and I think they're going to have to recruit uh, with that in mind that, that he may not be the fixture that they had hoped he would be at the start of the year. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I don't think he can be trusted, essentially, for lack of a better term. That's that's what it comes down to. But I think it is fair to put it into context. I think FSU understands that Dante Lucas needs them, and I think they understand that they're probably better with him. So I think that's sort of where that relationship is right now. I hope he matures. I hope it comes along. I hope it works out. I'm not optimistic about those things simply based on his history and his time at FSU. 
there, there was definitely something that happened last week. Like he's still on the roster. He never was removed from the roster, but right guys, like there was something oh, yeah, that, definitely. That, that led to some something friction. came to a head uh, to where to almost to the point where he was gone or was thinking about leaving or being removed from the roster. Um, but level heads prevailed. I believe there was a, maybe a meeting or a talk or something. And he was going to be added back to the roster for the Virginia game. Um, Chris, are you more or less optimistic that we see him at the start of the season in 2021? I, I sit in the same boat I already was in. I just I think it comes down to him showing progress as an individual, both on and off the field. Um, you know, I, I don't think the opportunities are many more for him. Like, I don't think – if something like what transpired last week with him happens again, I don't think he gets the next chance. It's weird because you talk to people within the program or around the program, and some feel like Dante's had a pretty long leash in, in things he's been able to to kind of do, and then some think it's been kind of short and he hasn't had a whole lot of margin for error. So it's just interesting that there's different Well, perceptions. I think the leash on his career has been long, right? Like for us that have watched it prior to Mike Norvell arriving, we know that you know Willie Taggart and his staff also kind of – gave him a little bit more leash to, to run with at times. But then Mike Norvell arrived, and you got, you got to wipe the slate clean, especially at offensive line. And to your point, I think while people, while people around the program may be a little disillusioned with, with Dante Lucas and what they've gotten out of him so far, um, I don't think they're ready to give up on him just yet. So, yeah. And I don't want this to be a thing where we're where people perceive it as us. We're taking shots at, at the kid. I think it's better. It's in the best interest of everyone for Dante, for Florida State, if things work out. I think that would yeah. be really great if it worked out for, for both parties involved. Yeah, and I think there's some uh, empathy, sympathy from Florida State, the coaching staff, in his direction. And I don't think that's the worst thing. You are trying to mold them into better young men, after all, when you bring them into the program or you take over the program they're part of. So I think they're trying to honor that to some degree with him. And they, I think it's reading him as an individual and not treating him simply as another member of the roster. And I'm, I don't have an issue with that. I just think that he's running out of opportunities to not show some growth, some buy-in to what they're trying to give to him. All right, let's get on to recruiting. You guys want the good news or the bad news first? All right, I'm going to give you the good news. Florida State. I was, received, I was muted. Florida State received a commitment from three-star Lake City, Columbia defensive back Shaheen Brown on Friday evening. I think that's right. I confused it. One DB was leaving on Sunday. One was coming on Friday. So Shaheen Brown commits to Florida State on Friday. He was offered by FSU earlier in the week. Um, I caught up with him over the weekend, and he said that he just felt like it was the right time. Quote, I talked to my parents, and they told me I could wait, but I knew any other teams that offered me were coming in late. FSU was the right choice. I didn't need to wait. Um, Brown tells me that he's going to lock his spot in in the class in December. He fully intends to sign with Florida State during the early period, even though he's not going to be able to enroll until the summer. Um, great relationship with Marcus Woodson. Chris, you've watched Shaheen Brown on film now. He plays primarily linebacker, but you think he, he fits in in the secondary? 
I think he's either a buck or a stud. I think he's a guy you use in the middle of the field who can play to all ways of the field. He's also very willing and capable of coming down and popping somebody. His athleticism is good. I wouldn't describe it as great. A bit more of a long strider. His speed on some of his early high school film is more impressive to me than the speed on the current high school film. Not calling him slow. Just saying he doesn't, like, strike me as a quick twitch, explosive kind of guy. But, yeah, I think he's a buck. If he's going to play in the secondary, I think he's a buck. He told me, uh, full disclosure, he told me he thinks he's a corner. Um, 6'1", about 185. Uh, But he also admitted that, you know, he could play safety. Um, I asked him about linebacker in high school. He told me that he's been playing there for going on two seasons now, basically because they don't have any linebackers. He said that he is playing out of position, but he likes it because it's a challenge. He's learning another position. Um, He feels that it's going to give him an advantage on the next level. Another thing that might give Shaheen Brown an advantage on the next level is comes from his own family. Brown told me that Trey Marshall, former Noel defensive back, is his godbrother, and the two practically grew up in the same household. Um, I asked how old he was when Trey was around, and he said he, said he was about 10 or 11 years old. Um, and he said that they were, they were really close, and when he comes home, they still train together. They go up to a park in Lake City, and um, he said Trey's just a really humble guy and really is an uh, important part of his life. So, One person who went to bat for Shaheen Brown is Brian Allen, head coach at Lake City Columbia, former Florida State linebacker. He thinks very highly of Brown. And I think some of that is obviously coach speaking up for his own kid, but I don't think B.A. would lead FSU wrong just based on his history with the program. By the time Chris finished that sentence, Trey Marshall picked up another targeting penalty. Hey, Trey Marshall probably came close to playing quarterback yesterday for the Broncos. He actually was inactive <laughs> yesterday, but he is with Broncos currently. Rob Calabrese, apparently the UCF quarterback who got benched by Jeff Godfrey, who got benched by Blake Bortles, uh, was going to be the starting quarterback if they allowed him to go from coaching. They put, they, the, the Denver Broncos actually petitioned the NFL to see if their assistant coach could suit up who hasn't suited up in football pads in eight years. And they Guys, really I, legitimately put in a uh, waiver that the NFL denied. I, I covered Rob Calabrese. And this is, I covered was, his recruitment. He was awful, awful, awful. Like, I think just statistically, his completion percentage was about 50% for his career. He was not very good. All right. Let's take a quick commercial break before we get to the bad news. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
Three, two, one. We are back on the bench with the bad news. Um, <laughs> this morning, I hate to break it to you, but I flipped my crystal ball on Florida State commitment Luke Altmeyer. Uh, for those that don't know, Luke Altmeyer is the crown jewel of Florida State's 2021 recruiting class. He is a pro-style quarterback out of Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, six foot two, 190. You guys know the deal. Chris, why did I flip my crystal ball? Because we're following the lead of Steve Wiltfong, who's led in reporting on this down the stretch. Um, to be completely clear, myself and Josh, and I don't know if Zach participated in it yesterday too, but we all tried to catch up with Luke yesterday. I called and texted him, no response. I believe you called him, right, Josh? I, I called him. His phone was completely off when I called. Just went yeah. straight to voicemail. So we New have, phone, who this? We have been trying to track him down. We know he went to the Egg Bowl. That's the second old Miss game. We know he's been to in recent weeks. Uh, you know, the Egg Bowl is an interesting scenario for him because of his dad's ties to Mississippi State. He was a team doctor for them. I don't know if he currently is, but he definitely was at one point. Um, so the family has some ties to Mississippi State, and obviously old Miss is very aggressively recruiting him. Lane Kiffin's made him a priority from the word go. And truthfully, he's the only quarterback that is a priority for them. It's just been trending that direction. I think the old Miss offense is appealing to him because of the fact that Lane's turned into such a viral circus of explosive plays with Matt Corral at quarterback. And then obviously FSU struggling as they are two and six. I think the only reason it hasn't happened, truthfully, is because it's going to be tough for him to have that conversation with Kenny Dillingham and with Mike Norvell because Memphis version of Mike Norvell was so early on Luke. They were his first offer, first real major interaction, and that meant something. And, you know, that's why FSU was able to secure him back in February, but things have transpired that have changed the landscape. I have reason to believe that he may have had that conversation with the FSU staff last night. Um, as we record this at 8.56 a.m. on Monday, um, I, would, I would expect him to do something today um at some point today i think he's gonna um flip his commitment from florida state to old miss i yes steve wiltfong has been on top of this one um he's 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 had a line to the altmeyers even before he committed to fsu in february so steve's been very good on reporting on luke altmeyer's recruitment uh and has good relationships not only with luke but his coaches and family as well um, but follow the visits. I mean, I say this, I've been saying this for 10 years. Follow the visits. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and Luke Altmeyer has visited Ole Miss at least three times that I know of, maybe four times this season. Sounds about correct. Um, and hasn't made a trip to Florida State since March. I know there's a pandemic going on. I know there's no visits, but he's still showing up on Ole Miss's campus. Ole Miss is putting on a show this season, at least offensively they are. Um, I mean, it, it's tough though. It's a kick in the nuts. It's a kick in the nuts because he is somebody that you built this class around. And if, and when Luke Altmeyer departs, there could be others. I'm not saying that others follow him necessarily, but just the confidence in this staff's ability to put together a successful foundation for this recruiting class kind of goes out the window when you lose your top QB. Yeah, and it'll be the second top commitment in the class of decommit following Brandon Jennings' lead when he flipped to Michigan. I got my crystal ball in weeks ago, fellas. Weeks ago, the flip. 
I put mine in hours ago. Couple other updates to hit on in recruiting. Um, it was a busy weekend on Knowles 24-7 with updates. I caught up with Katravian Hargrove, Florida State's top running back target. Um, Katravian has always been elusive when you try to talk to him about recruiting, but specifically yesterday, he did not want to talk about anything when it came to recruiting, except for the fact that he's probably going to make his decision in February. I asked him why, and he said because his Ruston High School team is entering the second round of the playoffs, and he is the leader on that team, and he is really hell-bent on getting them a state championship. He said they haven't won a state championship in forever, like the 90s. I, I kind of took exception to that, but um, <laughs> he feels like it's been way too long that his high school team hasn't won a championship, and he's focused on that. And I think he just doesn't want to give off um, a lot of quotes about recruiting so his teammates see it. Um, Florida State's in there. Coach David Johnson's done a great job of recruiting him. Um, we knew Penn State and South Carolina were in there. South Carolina is going through a head coaching change, so you know that's kind of in limbo. And Sean Fitz of our Penn State site informed me last week that Penn State has sort of backed off of Katravian Hargrove and isn't really recruiting him anymore. So he didn't want to tell me who he's talking to, but we do know Florida State is a program that he's in regular contact with. That could also be a reason why he's waiting, just to see what kind of options there are. Um, we know that after the early signing period, about, what, 75% of blue chip recruits are off the board, Chris, if not more? Yeah, in recent years since the early signing period came around, the average it's right around 78, I think it is. I think this year it may be a tick lower. Right. So if, if Contravian Hargrove is still out there come February, his stock is going to rise. Chris explained it on, on the site. It, it's simple. Good supply old supply and demand. And how does that work, Chris? Explain to the people that don't might not understand how that applies to recruiting. Schools recruiting a running back, or they have a running back committed. Early signing period comes up, said running back goes elsewhere or decommits from their class. Well, all of a sudden, they need a running back. Well, they go and look. These top 20 targets, 75% of them are gone, 15 of 20. So they only have five left. Well, we've tried to recruit those five targets, and they don't love us. So who's 21 through 50? Oh, 21 just became number one on our board. He just went from being 21 to one because he is available. Yeah. That's call just it what you want. I, I call it kind of overvaluing. Yeah. Spots are such at a premium at that point. Or not spots, but supply. It's almost a desperation move for schools because, oh, we got to have a running – in this case, oh, we got to have a running back in this class. He's one of the five, six best running backs in the country still available. Yeah. He becomes priority one. I think Hargrove will end up signing in February, but if his team loses this weekend, I will definitely give him a call and see if, uh, if his plans are changing. I think if his team gets knocked out of the playoffs, I could, I could potentially see him make an early decision. So that's something I'll keep track of. Um, Florida State defensive tackle target Tywone Malone uh, did an update with 24-7 Sports' Brian Doan this weekend. Tywone Malone is probably one of the most important recruits on the board, would you say, Chris? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, what is the latest on him? Uh, he said, well, originally he was planning to decide at the Under Armour All-American game. Obviously, that is not happening. The game is not happening. He said, at this point, I'm, my, I'm going, I decided to make my decision sometime in February. He didn't know a specific day, but he thought very likely it would be signing day. He's still focused on the same six, FSU, Old Miss, Rutgers, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and USC 
I think that right now it's probably fair to say that FSU and Ole Miss are two of the main contenders there. Mm-hmm. Big reason for that, he wants to play both baseball and football in college. In fact, when he talked about FSU, he mentioned Odell Higgins, calling him a great guy, saying he's always checking up on me. Next person he mentioned, Mike Metcalf from baseball, assistant coach, head recruiting guy for baseball, good bubbly personality. Mike's a good guy if you've ever met him. He's always asking how I am doing, how my family is. They are always checking on, in on me and keeping in touch with me and my family. The thing that Old Miss has on FSU, he visited Old Miss baseball, I believe it was back in February, right before the shutdown. He has not had the same opportunity to come out check out FSU football or baseball. He does want to try to get out and take some visits on his own. He's banged up right now, so I think he needs to get healthy first before he's hopping on any airplanes potentially, but we shall see. If FSU can get them in for a visit, I think they truly have a legitimate shot. If they don't ever get them in for a visit, I just I, I struggle to it's hard. gain confidence, despite the fact that other schools in that top six are fighting a similar battle. All right, I'm gonna let's wrap it up with two offensive line updates on Florida State commitments. Um, I'll take Rod Orr. You can take Kimo Macanoli. I spoke to Rod Orr yesterday, the six foot seven, 296 pound big man committed to FSU back in September. And he's been solid ever since. But the reason why I called him, I wanted to find out if, if he was going to sign in the early period or in February. I know he's a summer enrollee, but, you know, he's Florida State's probably second most important commitment outside of Luke Altmeyer. So, I just reached out to see, and he told me, quote, me and my parents are still talking about it. I don't know yet, to be honest. It's something we plan to sit down and talk about in the next week or two. That's whether or not he'll sign in December. Um, he says his relationship with the FSU staff is excellent, specifically Alex Atkins. Um, he is still being recruited by, quote, Ole Miss, Missouri, and a little bit of Tennessee. That's about it, end quote. Um, I think there's a good chance that we see or sign with Florida state in December. I know this update doesn't seem like it, but knowing the ins and outs of this recruitment, his parents pull a lot of strings when it comes to like the decision-making, the the timeline stuff. Um, And I think after FSU gets in, you know, speaks to mom and dad, um, I think they end up deciding that he signs in December. We'll see. Um, I'll check back with Rod Orr next week, but I think Florida State's in a good spot here. I don't feel near as confident with Chemo as Josh does with Orr. Uh, Update from our LSU site from six days ago now, I guess. I think it was the 24th. Uh, He's not talking like a kid that's real firm. This is one of the quotes. LSU is up there. LSU definitely has a shot. It's Old Miss, Texas A&M, FSU, possibly Mississippi State, and Arizona State in there. That's a group that are at the top right now. When the season is done, Niceville still in the playoffs, still active. They're playing again this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. It is going to be really tough to pick. So essentially, it sounds like he has a decision to make. Um, I asked somebody who I've known a long time at Niceville, you know, should I be concerned about chemo or is this just a kid kind of enjoying the end of the process? Their response wasn't definitive that I should be concerned, but they said he does have a lot of people in his ear right now. Whenever you hear that with a kid committed to a school, it's a sign for concern. So I just I think LSU kind of feels a need for him. Um, we'll see if they satisfy that need another way. That would probably be a big positive for FSU. I think LSU is the biggest thing attracting him away from Florida State currently. I'm and not. I've I've asked around. I'm not sold that he's a hundred percent 
a take for LSU right now. Have you determined? I know that? LSU wants to get him, or he wants to go check out LSU. LSU wants him to come check them out. Obviously, they can't have that in-person interaction, but I think that's a big domino in that recruitment that needs to fall for the flip to potentially happen towards LSU's direction. I think LSU, well, one, they're pressing on numbers. I think they only have currently like three spots available. Um, Shea and Sonny cover really well for the LSU side on 247, but I think reading up on it recently, they have three, maybe four spots. They could use an O-lineman, you know, a D, a D lineman, possibly two, because one inside, one outside. And then they're also involved with like a kid like Demarius McGee, who just decommitted from Tennessee from the panhandle here, a defensive back. So that's four guys, three spots. It could get real interesting how they kind of squeeze the last guy in. But I, they are certainly interested in chemo. I'm not convinced they would sign chemo today. Any Anything else you want to get off your chest? Chris, Brendan, when it comes to recruiting, this is your chance. I mean, early signing period is – we're basically, what, 17 days away now? It's two weeks from Wednesday. Yep. I don't feel like FSU is going to have some great run to the end line, finish line for the early signing period. I think it's going to be more interesting to see who they can get to actually sign early so they can be done with a certain segment of their class to focus on the remaining numbers and needs remaining. I think that's more a storyline than, oh, FSU might close with this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy. Go ahead. Let's. Um, I know what one question would be hanging out there if you're listening to this podcast would definitely be, well, where does FSU turn if Luke Altmaier decommits? And we've been doing that research. Um, I First of all, I don't expect them to sign a high school quarterback in two weeks here for the early signing period. Do they sign one in February? Possibly. But like we illustrated earlier and Chris said, you got to kind of wait and see what's available. Um, most of the uh, an arm of value probably won't be available after the December signing day. So um, I think they look to the transfer portal, potentially a grad transfer or somebody that has more years of eligibility. I think that's certainly possible this off season. I wouldn't rule it out the way that we did last off season. Um, we've seen them kind of show interest to a couple guys, Chris, you followed up on one or two quarterbacks, but there's nothing there. Uh, I mean, I've checked on several. I've checked on J.J. McCarthy, Michigan Commitment, from who's at IMG. Uh, I've been told that there's some background checking going on, but nothing significant. Uh, Jake Garcia is a name that's come up, mm-hmm. you know, from California playing in Georgia this year. I know that Kenny is good friends with Danny, who trains. Jake Garcia trains a lot of quarterbacks from out west. So there is a relationship there. But I, if Jake Garcia is playing football in the state of Florida, it was going to be at Miami. It's not going to be at FSU. I'd be extremely surprised if FSU somehow pops into that race. And he's currently committed to what USC, I believe it is. Um, there's been a couple others uh, trying to think of names off the top of my head. but You guys checked on the kid out in Utah. There was nothing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. going on uh, there. Jack- Jackson Dart. Yeah, Jackson Dart. I-, I was told he's going to remain out west, um, almost certainly a Pac-12 school or BYU, I think, was the other option. Mm-hmm. So that one doesn't appear likely. So, yeah, nothing that is very solid at this point of somebody that it seems like they're yeah. and I've been making told, a move for. And I've been told by a, a close, trusted source that FSU isn't going to go after a high school QB, but we're just doing our due diligence because we know that uh, Mike he, Norvell and the staff don't leave any stone unturned. Well, here's People something. Ask, Norvell, Norvell go always gets it. Norvell always has every single class he's ever had at Memphis, uh, and I think even going back to Arizona State, he always takes one quarterback. He's never had a class without a quarterback. That's something he kind of lives by. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
there'll be a quarterback. I, I'm pretty sure I, with you, Josh, I think transfer portal makes the most sense. You got to be open to that option. And I would actually contend that you got to be really, really, really aggressive. If you find a potential starting quarterback, you got to go, go, go all in on that. And people will ask why portal versus high school. Well, one, a lot of high schoolers are off the board, not looking mm-hmm. to flip. We're late in the process. Quarterbacks in a normal year, quarterback dominoes fall a great deal in the summer months. And then there's very few leftovers down the stretch. Um, but the other thing is FSU would have three freshman quarterbacks if they took a freshman quarterback. So if you're taking a freshman quarterback, you better make sure you're taking the right one. You don't need to just take another guy and crowd that room with the same class. I think it makes more sense truthfully for them to take somebody with a couple of years under their belt to kind of restack that room in an orderly fashion. Not necessarily the guy you expect to start or anything of that sort, just a guy you can depend on who brings a little stability, veteran leadership maybe to that room to give you him. Travis, and then the two freshmen returning, giving you four. That's it. I'm out of I got, words. I got one detail for you guys. Oh, go ahead. Rob Calabrese's complete, career completion percentage, 46.1 yards per attempt, 5.0, and they wanted to put him out there on Sunday against grown-ass men. Hey, man, Kendall Hinton, you know, former Wake Forest quarterback playing receiver in the NFL on the practice squad. People in the Denver Broncos building didn't even know who he was, when, and he's out there playing starting quarterback. What happened yesterday? How did Denver do? Uh, I think they only scored three. Demarcus Walker actually played a pretty good game. Demarcus has had – He's coming he's on, turned right? it on a little bit Let's this, go. in the back half of this year. Let's go. Um, he had a strip sack yesterday. Uh, he played a good game, but no, their offense was putrid. I think they completed one pass. I know that they equated – what they did passing in that game as a whole in that game with the Saints was horrendous. There was only like 90 net passing yards. But uh, oh, this is the great Steve Wilt phone calling me. Uh, Brendan, can you end this podcast for me? Yeah, sure. Take... All right. You guys uh, talk. End it whenever you want. Well, here's the issue. Josh is recorded on his computer. So for Josh Newberg, for Chris Knee, this is Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Wow, what a, what a great podcast. We'll talk to you guys later this week. I have a special guest coming on later, later this week, so check us out. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.